Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by Deacon Patrick Jones, who's an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos, and Deacon Doug Flynn, who is the Chancellor and General Counsel for the Diocese. Before we begin our discussion today, Deacon Doug, would you lead us in an opening prayer? Certainly. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc en enora mortis nostre. Amen. So uh, for today's episode, we thought we would kind of pick up where we left off uh, last episode. Um, so our, our previous episode was about forming our consciences, and that led to uh, a discussion about spiritual direction. So we thought we would take some kind of hypothetical scenarios um, that could come up in in spiritual direction and uh, see how they might be uh, possibly addressed. So, you know, because uh, frequently people will hear uh hear things in the news or or read things uh online or in social media that seem to conflict with you know previous previous papal encyclicals or catholic teaching um I, deacon patrick we were talking before the show for example um this recent article from um switzerland saying that where the the president of the Swiss bishops conference is quoting as saying it's time to abolish celibacy for priests. Right, Veronica. And the the exact quote matters less because there's lots of different quotes that leave us scratching our heads, kind of wondering, well, what's going on here? Um, and, um, how can a bishop say this? Well, the reality is we as faithful need to understand there's a reason Jesus gave us the caution to of how to recognize false shepherds. And he said, you shall know them by their fruit. And he wasn't just speaking about false shepherds of the time, uh, Sadducees and Pharisees. Um, he was speaking about false shepherds throughout church history also. And we are within that time of church history, living it now. Uh, and so we have to use our, our um, reason, our intellect, our fruits of faith to understand that what a bishop or a priest uh, is saying isn't in line with Christ's full revelation entrusted to the church. And so when we read uh, a bishop saying in the quote here was uh, celibacy means I'm available to God. Okay, that's that's true. That's in line. The next part, though, when you break it out is uh, we need to look at what's going on there. So if somebody came to uh, in spiritual direction, brought this and saying, I, I don't understand. What am I supposed to believe? We would break this apart. And so the bishop goes on to say, but I believe that this sign is no longer understood by society today. The time is ripe to abolish celibacy. And 
in the case of synod uh, of synods, this is a common type of headline we're seeing, and church teaching is very clear when you look at this. Um, and so we would break this apart. And the challenge is in spiritual direction to point to the foundations of faith. And the the statement that's critical here is. Uh, I believe this sign is no longer understood by society today. Well, the church has never defined truth, neither has Christ, based on what society understands, based on what somebody outside the church, outside faith formation, outside the faith understands. Um, that's not what defines who we are as Catholics. That's not, def- that's not what defines truth. And so this is this bishop's personal opinion. It is not a declaration of what ought to happen in the church. Yeah. I mean, and, and, um, Deacon Patrick, I, I know, um, I've been approached, uh, by a number of people over the years, you know, asking about, uh, you know, something in the headlines that Pope Francis is quoted as saying, or, uh, a couple um, responses that I usually um, can give them, you know, one of which is that so often when these stories pop up, um, they're taking just a few words, you know, out of uh, a, a 15 or 20 minute talk or, or something that the, that the Pope gave, you know, and, and so it seems like it's just really, easy to, um, you know, it's, I mean, it's a little bit like when people take a, a, a quote out of the Bible and try to, you know, apply it in a way that's completely contrary to church teaching be, because it's, you know, they don't, they, they, they take it completely out of historical context or something, you know, and I, I feel like that, that very often can happen, um, when, when these stories are being uh, reported in the the secular media, you know, that they um, it's the whole thing of the, um, you know, the sense that kind of anything that is, is sensational, they, uh, they tend to focus on. So, I mean, that's one thing I find myself reminding people about is let's, you know, let's look at the full article, just what, who was the audience what was the context or, or what was he responding to a question? Um, and then the other thing too is uh, that then you've got the, the language issue um, where I think uh, there were some popes in the past, in the recent past who were at least um, somewhat fluent in English. Um, I don't get the impression that Pope Francis is, is fluent in English. And so then you, you are really, um, relying on a translator to, uh, to, to interpret, you know, and, and, and so anyway, though, so, so you have to, I, I think start with those caveats, um, you know, and, and give, give the Pope the benefit of the doubt, but then, you know, we also do have to remember that um, the the Pope only when he's talking about faith and morals um, to the whole church is he, you know, is that considered really um, 
infallible. And so he can... And how many times has that happened in history? Yeah, extremely rarely, you know. Um, that's, Twice, I believe. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 you know, that's not... We have to take what he says seriously, but we... Um, it's it's not... I don't think it's, um, you know, undermining uh, the church to say that he can, you know, he can make mistakes um, in regards to... His, you know, his view of what's going on, you know, on the political scene or um, in regards to these various current events that are happening. Pope St. Peter was never on a plane with instant communication, getting things texted worldwide. <laughs> Although with Pope Benedict XVI, one of my favorite uh, quotes from him in the early days of his pontificate were asking the faithful to pray for him and to pray for forgiveness for all of the mistakes he had made and was and knew he was going to make. So, yeah, and I mean, I I think that's a really interesting point um, because I really uh, I I uh, happened across one of these you know Twitter debates which. It's usually not a good use of my time, and and I certainly didn't get involved. But um, you know, th there seems to be this idea um, in regards to uh, Pope John Paul II, who, as we know, you know, was was canonized not that many years after his death. That um, to, by canonizing him, um, the Church was saying that every single decision he made. Every memo he sent, every priest or bishop who was appointed to any office anywhere, that was all a hundred percent correct, you know. And 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 that's not that's <laughs> that's and, not and how so, this works. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so so I, I guess take what a I'm look driving, at Saint Augustine. <laughs> well, right. And so what I'm driving at is that then then the the conclusion seems to be that because we know, for example, that some of his um, appointments to various dioceses in hindsight turned out to be not to not have good results that that kind of nulls and voids his canonization or should you know and so i i do think there's a couple factors at play when we um or trying to guide people who have these questions you know it's like let's let's as you, Deacon Patrick, mentioned, let's first of all discuss just what is and what isn't the role of the Pope and the bishop. Um, and sometimes that in and of itself can really help to clarify these kinds of things. That's an excellent point, Veronica. And um, I know that we're, uh, I know Deacon Doug has uh, a short on time schedule here. So we might want to have him pick one of the next topics uh, or and let him delve into it and then we can go from there. Well, another one was um, a headline that talked about how some Minnesota medical students were alarmed by the presence of classmates, classmates who are faithful to Catholic teaching, uh, specifically when it came to um, what do they call it? Technical, technological manipulation of the bodies of people who describe themselves as transgender and so first, I will remind people that we did an entire uh, podcast uh, on uh, homosexuality and transgenderism, or as the church would say, same-sex attraction and uh, um, body dysphoria. 
And in some ways, this would be an easy one. And we could say the church teaches that, you know, God made man in his image and woman in his image and God doesn't make mistakes. So if, uh, if someone believes that they are put in the wrong body, then they, they probably are suffering from some form of uh, mental illness. And if that person happens to be under the age of 10, it's likely that their parents have a form of mental illness. So, um, I think the biggest concern would be why the University of Minnesota um, is promoting these types of uh, transgender surgeries in medical school and dive into a discussion about that. Um, of course, it would depend on whether the person you were directing was a medical student and was asking for guidance and how to address his teachers and or the faculty and or his fellow students uh, or just somebody who had questions about transgender and, and transgender surgeries. Yeah, correct. In, in the article. Excellent point. And one of the things that it brought up for me is um, just a, how impoverished our medical system is revealing itself to be uh, under um, the auspices of trusting blindly psychology, which has decided that personal truth is the only truth. Uh, and whoever comes up with whatever their personal truth is, that's true for them. Um, and logic and reason, Catholic intellect l listens to that idea and says, well, it's disproves itself on its face because if I impose my truth by saying only personal truth is true, that imposes my personal truth onto you, Deacon Doug, and you, Veronica. <laughs> and and now I've just said, well, there is a truth beyond personal truth. It's true for everybody that the only truth is personal truth, and, and that is called self-refuting. Self um, and that our that our education system, that our medical system is going to be producing adults who are supposedly professional and supposedly have our, uh, health in, uh, the capacity to help us navigate what we need for healthcare. Um, the answer is no, they don't. They're gravely impoverished. Uh, at least a huge chunk of them are going to be. And so that's its own challenge of spiritual direction of we may have people coming to us as a church who are trying to figure out how do I navigate this impoverished medical system and still get care that's moral. Um, and that's something that my wife and I faced when we were choosing which hospitals to use for uh, prenatal care. Um, and the the question came up of, well, um, do you want this test to determine whether you'll get an abortion or not? Um, if they are, if the fetus, the baby is shown to, um, have any one of these lists of, uh, uh, of medical issues. And we said, no, we don't even want the test. There's no reason to get it because we're not going down that road. And by the way, we're going to switch <laughs> doctors and hospitals. Well, Deacon Patrick, it's it's interesting that you bring up that um, option because my wife and I were blessed with um, 
one of our children to have an OBGYN who um, we, we're just not surprised people. So we always wanted to know what gender the kids were as soon as biologically possible so we could buy the right paint color for the room. But um, but I, we had an OBGYN who said, well, why do you want to know the gender? And we were like, so we can get the right paint color for the room. And uh, why do you ask? <laughs> and she said, because there are people who, if they find out that the gender is either what is a gender that they don't want, they will abort the child. And my wife mm. and I were just horrified. It was like, really? There's people like that? Wow. But we were heartened that, you know, we had an OBGYN that said, if, if that's why you want to know the gender, I'm not going to order an ultrasound for you. So... Well, I mean, get, kind of shifting the perspective to, um, you know, the medical student question. I will say I, I did hear a priest uh, at a retreat a year or two ago um, bring this up in a meditation. Um, you know, because of things like this that are going on at medical schools, um, you know, I, it sounded like he had talked to some parents who were trying to steer their kids away from medicine and probably other professions where these types of ethical things are going to come up on a regular basis. Um, and I, and he was really cautioning against that. You know, he was saying, don't, um, actually and another profession that he kind of lumped in with that was journalism. But anyway, um, he, <laughs> he, uh, he, he kind of, you know, was saying, be careful because is that, is that really what our goal is to make sure that there's no practicing Catholics and, law, medicine, or journalism, that's not exact, you know, so, so, I mean, spiritual direction does come into play with that in the sense that there may be some um, really talented young Catholic men and women who are called to um, go, go into the medical profession, knowing full well that they're going, that, you know, that they're, um, it's going to be somewhat of a hostile environment and um, that they are going to have to stand up for themselves. You know, they may, and they may even find themselves kind of um, isolated depending and in on the Supreme court. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But that doesn't necessarily, you know, but that, I mean, knowing that doesn't in and of it, it as, as parents, you know, we have to be careful about, as a mom, of course, our, my first instinct is to protect my children. There's no doubt about that. But then, you know, in the presence of God, I have to say, well, this is not something that I would want my child to go through, but maybe maybe that's what God's asking, you know. And so um, that is where I think there's a lot of discernment and, you know, certainly seeking guidance from a spiritual director could be really helpful. Well, and it's not just moms. Dads also want to protect their kids. And so I, leading into our next uh, um, scenario, uh, I can either confirm nor deny that I had a family member recently indicate that they might want to go into the FBI, to which I had a very uncharitable response about <laughs> no, no, and absolutely not no. And it was only after some, some prayerful time and reflection and adoration that I was able to hear God say, you know, maybe that's what the FBI needs is somebody like that to, to go in and try and help reform and, uh, and renew the well, institution. Well, <laughs> yeah, because so go ahead, we, Veronica. Well, I just, I, I'm just going to throw in my two cents. I mean, unless it's a, 
it's a job that on its face is immoral. Um, and, you know, there are few jobs out there. I mean, for just for example, like working at an abortion clinic or something where you, you know, with, with an absolutely clear conscience, obviously would, um, could tell, tell your, your child that, that under no circumstances can you do that. Right. But the, again, those situations are, are pretty rare. Well, one of the phrases that I often use, um, is, well, you have to discern how big, how fast, how dumb, how stupid God is calling you to be in proclaiming Christ's truth. Uh, and we're all called to different, um, we're all different members of the same body of Christ. So we all have a different call. And we know from various times of persecution in the church uh, where the church has faced persecution, that some people are called to persecution. Some people are called to quietly keep the faith going in their families um, underneath the surface. And those aren't at odds with each other. They're very much together. Uh, and they're both beautiful expressions of our faith. And it takes journeying with someone in prayer to help them know what their personal call is. And I think that's a good thing for us to name is that um, at, at the beginning of this, uh, I think it was you, Veronica, who mentioned that, uh, you know, this isn't counseling. This isn't um, uh, based on psychology. And I think it's good to point out that um, the church's given the power of the keys by Christ. And yes, that shows itself in papal infallibility and various roles of the Pope, um, which are very defined and very limited. Uh, but it also shows itself. We know from the gospels that, um, the power of the keys is given to all disciples and it's a lesser expression of the power of the keys. And part of that comes through, uh, with priests uh, in the confessional, having being, uh, the person of Christ to that person, forgiving their sins. Um, and part of that is also working with them and, and shepherding them through spiritual direction. And shepherding is a very, very different call than psychology is. And so we want to understand anyone coming to seeking spiritual direction needs to understand what they're going to be getting is a very different experience. The goal of which is to, for the spiritual director to be, um, not to take a personal interest in what they're choosing, but instead take a, uh, how, what does Christ's full revelation say about these specific circumstances? And, uh, that's an awful lot of, uh, revelation to apply. <laughs> so it can be a very challenging thing to do. Yeah. Deacon Patrick, as you were talking, I was actually, um, reminded of today's gospel reading, which is the, um, I don't have it in front of me, but it's, it includes the passage about, um, you don't put a light under a bushel basket, you know, you put it on a lampstand. Um, it, so, you know, to, to provide, light for everyone around. And 
that that really is kind of um, very much in line with at least the way that I was taught to view spiritual direction is, as you mentioned, it's not a question of sharing my opinion about anything. It's a question of in that, in that, you know, conversation with that person trying to be the light of Christ and shine, in a sense, shine it on the, the issues that they have going on in their life. And, you know, I think another um, gospel passage that comes to mind again, of course, since I'm Catholic, I can't cite any of them, but um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, the one that talks about, I am the vine and you are the branches. So, because I, I think it, it, it can come up. I mean, the question can be asked at times, well, who are you to be giving spiritual direction? I mean, you know, well, I'm nobody, but the thing is that as long as I am striving to be united to Christ in the church through the sacraments, through, you know, doing the appropriate um, preparation, you know, reading and things like that, that's all that um, God is asking of us, you know, and, 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 and we, we can't be, um, we can't get an inferiority complex, um, uh, and say, well, okay, you know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not this. Um, because again, it's, it's not, we're not giving our own opinions and our own expertise. It's, it's, um, through, you know, again, well, well prepared through prayer and so forth. We are, we are simply being, uh, like an ambassador, ambassador or a, um, a messenger, for hopefully, you know, for the Holy Spirit to work through us. That, that is my understanding anyway of, you know, how, how spiritual direction, um, works. And so, um, uh, on the flip side, if I ever, you know, find that maybe I, ha I haven't, you know, I've been kind of neglecting the sacraments and I haven't really, um, been doing much to keep, um, my spiritual life going, maybe I want to, hold back before, you know, if somebody does come to me for advice, maybe I want to uh, spend some extra time in prayer or, you know, go to confession first or something to just to make sure that, um, again, that the Holy Spirit can speak through me and not um, it just be my kind of knee jerk reaction to to something, you know. So the the burden is on the person who's giving the direction to make sure that they're a well disposed, I think, um, to, to offer that. St. Uh, Benedict addresses this when he's giving, uh, at the beginning of his rule, uh, warning to, um, future abbots to, uh, they are responsible for any of the sins that their monks commit unless they have pointed them out and worked with them to correct them. Um, and that's true of any shepherd. And so whether you're a shepherd because you're writing Catholic writing, be it fiction or nonfiction, or whether you're a shepherd because you're a pastor, a priest, a bishop, or a deacon, or uh, an editor of a Catholic paper, um, any position that has you shepherding someone else including uh, what we talk about here often on Halos, the uh, idea that spouses 
husbands and wives are each other's um, first halo. They're each other's first spiritual directors. We have a responsibility to shepherd our um, family as we're called to and put in authority over them by Christ, uh, including as parents over our children um, until they're adults. And then as still as their parents, there's a, a unique responsibility there. Um, as well as reaching sideways to others who are sharing the journey with us. And even that, that may be as simple as, you know what, you really need to talk with a priest about this, or you really need to talk with a spiritual director and helping them connect with somebody when I'm not quite sure. And the, uh, I know we're getting short on time here, so I'll, I'll end with this thought and then hand back to you, Veronica. Um, the, the first uh, conversation or first meeting, uh, in spiritual direction is about mutual discernment. And that can take the form of, okay, well, let's examine how this goes for the first few times. And we're both deciding, is this a good fit? Am I able to help you? Or are you able to hear and in a position where you are uh, even ready for spiritual direction? Um, or, or what does that look like? A and a fascinating thing happens because I have always laid out, you have permission, come to me and say, nope, this isn't working. And we'll part ways, no problem. Uh, and often we'll meet twice and then a third meeting gets scheduled and somehow just never happens. <laughs> so, so that third meeting is a critical time for people to, uh, to connect if they're wanting to pursue it. Um, or at least let your spiritual director know, no, this isn't a good fit. Do you have somebody who could recommend um, or look elsewhere? Yes. Um, and, you know, I, on that note, Deacon Patrick, um, I realized that we, I think we wanted to um, direct people to um, a section on the website where they could uh, um, possibly get reach out and get in touch with a spiritual director. And um, let's see here. Now, of course, I have a feeling I'm not going to be able to find it again, <laughs> um, even though I think you you sent me the link here. But let and me I, um, let me scroll up and see. I've got the link here. It's okay. Um, diocese D I O C S Dio of Colorado Springs Dio right. org. Um, so it's D I O C S dot org slash ministries slash spiritual directors. So you just follow those drop down menus and you get there. You don't have to use that exact URL. Um, oh, okay. Minist and, yeah. And under for those right. of you who are, who are typing challenge, if you just type into Google diocese, Colorado Springs, spiritual director, it takes you right to that page. Oh, oh good. Okay, great. Um, those of you who are typing challenge, just type this. Is that what you just said, Doug? <laughs> it's easier than diocs.org. <laughs> right. No, but I think that was the piece I was missing is that it was under ministries, um, which uh, that that had escaped me last time. But yeah, but yeah the taxonomy there, is uh, is a little confusing, but that, that'll that's where it is at the moment. So. Well, um, we, we are out of time for today, but before we go, just want to remind everybody that um, you can find this episode and all past episodes of Catholic Halos on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and several other platforms. So feel free to uh, check us out there. I think we're in our third year of 
episodes. Uh, Deacon Doug, would you lead us in a closing prayer? Certainly. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. <laughs>